swoops down and he notices Adam is all alone. Well, all the other animals have companions. So he decides to create a companion for man as well. He comes to see Adam and he says, Adam, you're my greatest creation, and therefore I'm going to create for you the ultimate companion. She shall worship the very ground you walk on. She will long for you and no other. She'll be highly intelligent. She will wait on you, hold in foot, and obey your every command. She'll be beautiful and all will cost you is an arm and a leg. Thank you for a few moments, Adam replied. That's a ridiculous deal. Those kind I usually hear when I get home. Right? So, uh, I get there. Well, last night, uh, I, I really, I had worked all week long on sermons, and I came in being honest with you, and I finished. <laughs> and I had decided, though, that last night, last night, probably, I believe, finally decided to move everything from uh, 15 this morning. God told us simply that He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind and love and a power. Okay? But how many people? 
people do we see that are moving their lives as what chapter 5 of the book of 1 John says, that they are overcoming. I'm not saying that we should not be concerned. I'm not saying that we should just let life hit us in the face and we just go on. I'm never saying, you know, that, that, uh, that a person that loses somebody or somebody that's just got a diagnosis of cancer or something else like that, that they should not come to a place that there not be some kind of concern because then I, I, would, I would have a hard time with, with that person. But by the same token, God wants us to come to a place that we overcome things and live in a life that we don't worry ourselves. I think many of the things that we worry about, and, 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 and that's what we're going to look at when we look at the word supplication, too, because supplication simply means to presuppose that. Many of the things that you and I get concerned about and we worry about are things that never will come to play. And, it, and what I mean by presupposing something, Satan loves to come to you and put something in your heart, in your mind, and get you worrying about it, and it will never take place. So how many things have we worried about or do we get concerned about or we have anxieties over that have never come to play? What's, what's the things that we're all anxious about today? Well, one of those things is COVID. Are we concerned about it? You know, that is God greater than COVID? I believe He is. Is He, is he greater than, you know, maybe if you've got health problems, have you committed your life to Him and your health problems when He's His desire for you? According, we hear you hear this all the time down here. Third John verse 3 that says, that, my beloved, I wish above all things that thou would prosper. And then he says this, and be in hell. Are you in hell? Well, have you turned that over to the Lord? What about what about finances? Do we worry about whether or not we're going to have enough money? And, and the rumors out there, what's going to happen with Social Security and, and, and the, the inflation and on and on. We could go on and all these things. How about your family safety? Is that one of the things that you worry about? And, it, and I will tell you something that's increasingly and continually growing is the awfulness of child, children that are being abducted and taken to the sex trade. This is a big deal, even here in America. Or is that the thing we're concerned about? How about your job? Or your job, are you concerned about whether or not you're going to lose your job? Are they, they're, your company talking about cutbacks? Uh, are there... Are, there, are they saying to you that if you have decided that the Lord has told you that for you and your family, you've decided that you do not want to take the vaccination, and yet they're telling you that if you don't, you're going to lose your job? Is that what you're concerned about? Is your job mandating that you take the vaccination when you felt the Lord is telling you not to? How about family relations? Uh, are you getting along in your family? Husbands and wives get along, whatever. Are there things starting to creep into your marriage? that gradually, as Jesus talks about the little foxes that are eating away, eating away relationships until all of a sudden one day you look at one another and you realize you don't even know one another. Is, is that the thing that, that you're concerned about? Or how about a wayward child? A child that has basically turned its back on what your beliefs are and things, and now you, you don't even, you know, they have, won't have anything to do with, with you or whatever else it is. And what about the future? What's the future holds? Uh, what, what does the future hold for us? And what does the future hold for this country? And, and then there's also this. It, it's the media and the government. You know, if you don't have anything to worry about, the media will give you something to worry about. Uh, for their motive is continually keeping you feeling like your life is lacking something. All the advertisements that are, on the, are basically saying to you, you're, you're, you lack this. 
this, or you don't have this in your life. And the only way your life can be complete if you use this kind of toilet paper or if you use these other things that are there. And they're continually making you feel as if that you lack something. I heard that some of the Amish that were being uh, being interviewed, and they asked them what their thoughts were on the COVID. And they said, we don't have any problem with the COVID. And they asked them, well, why don't you have COVID with COVID? And they said this, we don't have a TV. And there it is. I mean, I think half of the problems, I, I don't believe, I'm not saying that COVID is not real. I believe it is. But I'm saying that we have blown it up so much that finally it's become something that it's really not. So what are those things that seem to occupy your mind, but it puts a cringe into your stomach? What are those things? So many things when Jesus taught us not to worry in the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, he says over in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25, and he tells you not to, first thing he tells you not to do is not to worry about your life. That's what he says, verse 25. Look what, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Well, let me give you some verses here when you talk about your life. Look at Psalm 31, verse 15. Look what it says. It says, My times are in your hand. Listen to this. My times are in your hand. What time do you... You know, the Bible talks about the Ecclesiastes how we go through seasons. And we all do go through seasons. We go through all kinds of different seasons. And maybe you're going through a season right now that you're having a hard time getting through. But look at this. My times are in your seat. You would not be going through that season if God in your life had not put you in that place where you would be going through that season. He's in control. You, my times are in your season. Uh, deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Now let's go another step forward. Let's go over to the book of Job, chapter 14, and verse, uh, verse uh, 5. And this is from the New Living Translation. So this is what he says. You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months will we live, and we are not given a minute longer. I will tell you one of the ways that you can live a little bit longer is what it says over in Psalms 91, the last verse in Psalms 91, that says, With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. And the word salvation is the word Yahshua there. And guess what that is? It's the same name for Jesus. The more that Jesus has shown in your life, the more, the longer God's going to use you and want to keep you around for using for His purpose. It's Christ being displayed in your life. So, so what am I saying to you here? I'm saying, why should we worry about our life and what, you know, these things? Because as a result of that, God knows the exact time He's going to call you home. And we look at people and we say, well, that person died here last well, Friday. What well, is it? Because He tells us that He knows our time. He knows the exact months and things He's going to call us. Because it says, You've decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we will not be given a minute longer. So my own life is in God's hands. So whatever happens to me, He's going to decide. Now, and, and so, so the first thing is, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. That's what He tells me not to do. Not to worry about my life. Uh, and then He goes on in verse 25. He's going to worry about your life. And then he says this, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, and what you will put on, is it not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? What we eat, what we'll drink, your body, what we will wear, those kind of things, and is that not what we are seen to be consumed with in our life? Verse 26, he says this, he says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor they reap, nor they gather in the barns, 
Yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and are you not of more value than they? And so here's what I'm asking you. You ever seen a fat robin? I've never seen a robin out there with a sign hold up, we'll eat for food or what, you know, we'll work for food or whatever. I see birds all over the place, and they're all fat. They all look like they're doing pretty well. And if God says that I'm going to take care of the birds of the field, I'm going to take care of them, then He's looking at you and He's saying, are you not more valued to me than they are? That's what He says. And then He tells us in verse 28 to consider the lilies of the field. He says simply, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor are spent. I don't know that we worry about clothes. I think we worry more about labels on our clothes. Whether or not what it has that little signal on the side, or whether or not that's the emblem of, of uh, uh, you know, whatever the fashion may be for that day. Verse 30 is the key. He says, he says this, he says in verse 30, now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is the Mars thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Will He not much more clothe you, of you of little faith? Are you not much more worthy than they are? And then verse 32, He looks at this, He says, For all these things the Gentiles seek after. Now, the word Gentiles here, it simply means those are, He uses the Gentiles here as unbelievers, or get it, let's go a little bit farther, not just people. It is a system, and it is the world system. The world system wants you to get caught up in what you eat and what you drink and what you wear and all those things and how you live and what you drive. You know, there was a time in my life, I think that how when I pulled up at some place, I, I really was concerned about what I would look like when I pulled up. You know? Now I just want to get there. I, I, I never will forget when I was going through some financial things that I had a Jeep and I had, and the Jeep was paid for and I had to sell it. And I sold it to pay off my bills and things. And I did that. And I went and I bought a $500 Deuce and a Quarter. That's what I bought. Now, some of you don't know what a Deuce and a Quarter is. That's an Electra 245. It was yellow. It was cheapy looking. And yet it looked, it was off. Inside it looked like a living room. My kids could go in there and play ping pong back and forth, back and forth. They could lay in the back window and do all that kind of stuff. You know, wasn't any problem. And but it had because it had been hit in the side, and they had drilled holes in it, and they had pulled the sides out. And my kids thought it was bullet holes all down through there. And I mean, you know, I, I, I got three kids, you know, and, and we were going down the road. And I mean, you pull up at a stoplight, people look over at you in that deuce and a quarter, and they look, oh Lord, what, well, who's that bunch over there? You know. Was like the Beverly Hillbillies or something like that. But I didn't care. It got me there. And I think sometimes we're so concerned about what we'll look like or how what, how our perception is. And, and so he says the world system seeks after all these things. Listen, there's only two systems in this world. Let's simplify them. And the two systems of this world, one is the kingdom of God's system and the other is the world system. It's either the God system or the world system. What we're teaching right now, basically in schools and everything else, is humanism that takes God off the throne and puts man on the middle of that throne. And then he goes on to tell us, he says, this is why Jesus tells us he gets ready to, when he gets ready to come again, what will be happening here on earth, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Well, Matthew 24, 37 and 39, it says, But as the days of Noah were, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says they're eating and they're drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. What's wrong with those things? There is absolutely nothing wrong with those things, except what it is when our focus is on those things, then we become part of the world system. And this is why the Bible says over in Romans 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Why is it not eating and drinking? He said in the days of Noah, Noah, it was they would be eating and drinking. He said the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, where's your focus? The world system today, our entire focus is on the things of this world. That's what he's trying to say. So when Jesus gets, come, gets ready to come back, what's going to take place is, the world will be so focused on the things of the world that they're not paying attention to the things that really matter, and that's the spiritual things of Jesus Christ. And so the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but listen to what it says, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when he tells us in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. If you'll put in first, if you'll quit looking at the birds and the flowers, look at the birds and the flowers and understand that God takes care of them, he's going to take care of you. He will take care of all these other things. So verse 31 says simply, he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we, what shall we wear? But all these is based on you building everything on a foundation. How do, how do I come to that place that I don't worry? How do I come to that place that I don't have any anxieties over? It, it must be, there has to be a foundation. And that foundation is found in verse 26 when Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap together in the barn, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? There's your foundation. What's the foundation? That God loves you so much that He values you more than anything else in this world. I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of people with different problems. And you know, I believe I could summarize almost all those problems and bring them down to one thing. You know what the one problem is? They don't really believe God loves them. They really don't. I mean, they believe in the love of God. They believe that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I know they believe that. They believe that. But, I mean, to really come to the place that you know that God loves, it's, much, it's got to be internalized above everything else. You're going to overcome worries. You're going to overcome the problems in your life. The only way it's first going to happen is you've got to know above everything else that Jesus loves. That's the one thing in my life after 70-something years. I've never gotten that way. I don't understand how God could love me like He does. But He does. He loves you that way. You're special to Him. Have you ever really sat down and realized how special you are to Him? That, that when Jesus died for you, He died for you as if you were the only person that ever lived? And so verse 26 must be internalized. He's saying to you, are you not more valued? You've you got to understand that you're more valued than they are. So here's the ultimate question. Do you know today, right now, Right at this very instant, do you know that God loves you? In your heart of hearts, do you know that God loves you more than anything? As Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He loves you. And you know, it always blew me away that here's this old hardened, rough hand, and I guarantee if you shake hands with Peter, boy, it would be like a, a, 
because all that fishing and nets and everything else he did. And I guarantee if you shook hands with him, it would be like shaking somebody's hand with sandpaper up. And yet here's this old rough, hard man that talks about, don't you know that you have not been redeemed and corrupted with things like silver or gold? Then he says this, and this is the only place I know in the Bible that it's this word is used. He says that you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Here's, here's this old hardened guy, and he's using the word precious. The precious he knew that God loved. So the first thing in overcoming worry and anxiety is that we come to the place that you know and you don't doubt in your heart that God loves you. Let me say it again, that God loves you above everything else. And you know that 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 God loves you. Whatever you're going through, God's with you. He knows you know it. The apostle John knew it. John knew it. Because listen to this. In John 13, 23. Listen how, listen how John referred always to himself. John, John 13, verse 23. He says, Now there was leaning on Jesus the bosom of one of his disciples, listen to this, who Jesus loved. Let me read again. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Go to John 19, verse 20, 26. And then when Jesus therefore saw his mother, now, and when the first one was in the upper room, and Jesus was telling him he had to go to the cross, and it's leaning on Jesus was the disciple of Jesus. Then you go to the cross, and the cross, and when Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciple, whom he loved, standing by, he said, his mother, woman, behold your son, who the disciple whom Jesus loved at the cross. Then you go to the resurrection. Mary Magdalene was standing there. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, what, whom Jesus loved and said to them, they were taken away the Lord of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then you go, you go out the, the appearance after the resurrection, John 21, verse 7, and says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his arm and garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. John looked over there and he looked at the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he saw Jesus standing on the side, and he said, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter said, so he didn't wait, man. He jumped in the water and swam to Jesus. The disciple from Jesus Christ. I can go on again. I go into John 21, verse 20. And it says, then Peter turns around. And this is, this is even, and you know, this is where Jesus is talking to Peter. And he's telling him that there was a day was going to come that men were going to lead him. And that he was going to, he was basically telling him that he was going to die. He was going to be crucified eventually. And Peter got so concerned that John was following behind him. And he looked at him and he says, the Lord says, well, what about this? What about him? Whatever. And Jesus asked him, well, what's that to you? But listen, this is Peter. This is what it says. And Peter turning around saw the disciple. And Jesus loved following also had leaned on his breast. And he said, Lord, this is what did he say. The disciple from Jesus Christ. You know, years ago when I first read that, I thought, boy, the Lord really loved John. And so I, I looked for it in the book of Matthew, and it wasn't there. And I looked for it in the book of Luke, and it wasn't there. I looked for it in the book of Mark, and it wasn't there. The only book that has the disciple whom Jesus loved is the book that John wrote. <laughs> it's the only book that he wrote. Jesus loved all 12 disciples, but John knew it. You understand? John knew it. Oh, how we're so flippant with this thing. Is that does God love you? I'm telling people, God loves you. No, He loves us. 
but to un- come to a place that you have that 12-inch conversion from your head down to your heart where you know God loves you. That's what John had. John had that. And it made the difference in his life. Peter, we talk about, did go into the inner gate when Jesus was arrested, but he did, and he denied Jesus that. But there was another disciple that followed Jesus all the way into that gate. And who was that? That was John. Why? Because he knew that he loved him. The disciples in Jesus' life. He seemed to put so much emphasis on whether or not he loved God. That's what he talked to people about. Do you love the Lord? Love God. Do you love God? Whatever, you know, all this that we talk about and love God. But the truth is, the person who puts the emphasis on how much God loves them, that person will accomplish it in eternal things for the Lord. It's not what you do, it's what Christ does inside you. And I almost believe the first step is coming to the place that you comprehend and you understand how much God loves you. And when God loves you that way, you just want to go out and tell other people. You want to, why do we not witness? Maybe it's because we don't really believe that God loves us. Why is it that we don't accomplish the things that God wants us to in our lives? Well, we put it off till the back burner. Why? Because you, maybe you don't believe that God really loves us that today. Because when we're overwhelmed with the love of God, and you know, is that not what... Is that not what Paul says over in the book of Ephesians when he tells us, he says, that you may comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the breadth, and the depth of the love of God, and to know, and to know the love of God that passes all understanding. And then he gets to the next verse, and what does he say? He says, Now unto him who is able to, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that, that he's inside of us. What's he saying to us? so overwhelmed with the fact that God loves me that I want to go out and I want to accomplish something for Him. Uh, eternal things for the Lord of God. This is why John 4.19, what's He saying? Listen to what He says. And this, this is profound, but we just look at it again. Okay, we're going. But listen to what He says. We love Him because what? He first loved us. He first loved us. Why do we love Him? Because He first loved us. So where's the emphasis? The emphasis should be on how much God loves you, not how much that you love the Lord. King David said in Psalms 116, 12, verse 13, he says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits towards me? And listen to what his answer was. I will take the cup of salvation and call it on the name of What's he saying? I will take. I believe the Lord is pleased pleased with us when we end up taking from Him, not giving to Him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What can you give to the Lord other than take what He asks you to do? Because in so doing, what you do, you're giving yourself. That's what He really wants. That's what He wants. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So the foundation of overcoming worry and concern is to know, first above everything else, that God loves us. And the second thing that causes us to worry is to have anxiety is because of the lack of prayer in our life. Let's be honest about this. Let's be honest. When you study the book of Ephesians about putting on the whole armor of God, we all know that. You know, the, the shield of faith, the, the sword of the, you know, the sword of the word, uh, uh, the helmet of salvation, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, all those things. We 
know all that, but what we miss, we don't go far enough in it, we don't come down to verse 18. And verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watched over the sin with all perseverance and supplication with all the saints. What is it? Praying continually. Praying always with all prayer. James said the reason that we have not is because we ought not. Now let me ask you a question. If you've prayed about something and truly questioned it and truly have given it to the Lord, what is the immediate result? If you really prayed about whatever the concern, whatever the thing was in your life, and you, you say, well, I'm going to pray about it. Okay, so you prayed about it. Let me ask you this question. And the question is, is what was the immediate result of that? I'm not talking about how the prayer was answered. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you, what you praying for somebody to be healed and all, all of a sudden they were healed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what was the effect once you finished praying. You got on your knees, you went alone with the Lord, and as a result of that, as a result of that, what was the immediate result for you? Was there peace? Because if there was not peace, then did you really... Did you really get through to the Lord? You know, old time people used to talk about praying through. I think sometimes we're so busy, we're so busy about doing things that we don't, you know, we want to pray, and so we can we can sit back and say, "Well, I think we pray." Well, did you pray about? It? Yeah, I prayed about. It. But did we really pray? I mean, was there a communication link between you and God the Father? Was there something that really kept going? Was it? Because if it wasn't, then maybe what you had to do, what you said, it didn't, things didn't. Maybe you didn't make that link. Well, the Bible talks about the ceilings of bronze, and, and, and so you hear all people talk about that. I feel like my prayer is going up and down. So maybe, maybe that's it. So, you know, uh, so it's not the answer, but the sense of peace. So the things I would ask that concern you, have you, have you prayed it? See, I see people that have got a lot of problems and they tell everybody they're in around up up at Rome and Stephen and Myrtle and everybody else. They tell everybody about it. But the truth of the is, if they really stop and think, have you taken that time? I know you're busy. This is why I told you not to just keep coming today. I don't have time to pray. I have to make time. Have you made time to give this to the Lord? And in giving it to the Lord, have you come to a place that you really know that you've given it to? So whatever the concern, have you committed it to the Lord? The Bible says, commit your way to the Lord and He will bring it to pass. That means, that means, okay, so, so once I commit it to the Lord, let me say this to you. Once you commit it to the Lord, this is it. Your responsibility is over with. Once you commit it to the Lord, your responsibility is over with unless the Lord is giving you and telling you to do something else that you knew to do. But if He doesn't tell you there's something else to do, then it's no longer your responsibility. And as a result of that, it's no longer your worry, no longer your concern. If you've really given it to Him. See, what we want to do, what we want to do, we want to put our finger in it. We pray about it. We give it to Him. But
what's the next thing we do? We've got to try to manipulate. This, this was the problem with Jacob. This is why Jacob was called the supplanter. He was always trying to manipulate things. He was always, oh, the Lord will do this, okay, yeah, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, do this. And this is how we are many times. Get your responsibility in unless the Lord shows you something. So many want to help things along. Well, let me just help it along with you. Know, and we, we love to quote that verse in, in the Bible that says, God helps those who help themselves. The problem is that's not in the Bible. People have to quote things. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. Okay? Give it to the Lord. Let it get, let Him have it. And walk away from it. Knowing that if you know He loves you, cares for it, He's going to do something. He's going to do something about it. Then, you know, and so, then, and so as a result of that, you know, think about it. And I'll probably bring this up later. But, but first John, first John chapter 5, verse 14, 15, that says what? This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the, the, we have the petitions that we have asking Him. Now, look, let me just say this too. The word have, uh, we know that we have, is present tense. And what does that mean? It means simply that you can know that you have something before you have it. Okay? What does that mean? It means you prayed about something. It's not you haven't seen, because the Bible says in Romans, calling those things that are not as though they are. You've called it as even though they're not as though they are. It hasn't happened yet, but in your heart of hearts, God has showed you in the Spirit that He's already answered that, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. That you already have it before you have it. Does that make sense? Okay? Now, I'm not talking about name it and claim it and all that stuff that some of you guys talk about. I'm talking, I mean, God will show you that. So, so your responsibility is answered. Now, let me do this. Let me give you a couple of things that have to do with your public persona that has to do with your faith. Now, what, are, what am I talking about? I'm talking about your public persona is how people see. What we don't understand is God puts things in your life. He put, allows things to come into your life because He wants to affect those around you. The things he's put in your life may not have anything to do with you. They may have something to do with your child or somebody else. But he's put it in your life for you to handle it so that they would see your faith. And as a result, it would build them up in the faith. Okay? Some of you are looking at me cross-eyed, but don't do that with me. Now, so, so here's the whole thing. So there's a couple of things. Number one, he tells us now, let's go back over to Philippians chapter 4. Because he says over there, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and again, he, uh, the, the, again, I will say, rejoice, Lord. What, well, I would never go up to somebody and somebody says, "Well, I just got, I just got back to the doctor and they told me they've got cancer or something." But or somebody lost somebody, I would never go up there and say, you know, uh, you know, I, I would never go to a person and say, "Well, you know, what, boy, just rejoice, yeah, praise God, you know, God's going." Yeah, I would never do that. That's stupid. But rejoice in the Lord. Here's what it means. It means simply that you can rejoice over the fact of the things that you know what God's going to do in your life. He, the, the, rejoice over the fact that God loves you. Or rejoice over the fact that He wants you to turn everything over, that, that you don't lean into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and allow Him to direct your path. If you'll, that's what He's talking about. Rejoice in the fact that, of this. Also, you can rejoice over the history 
that you have with the Lord. Why are you in the history? This is why I think sometimes we need to keep a prayer journal and write down, I gave this to the Lord on this date. And then what? He answered it on this date. And I got all these written Can you imagine if you had a prayer journal and had all these prayers in there that you gave the Lord and over here you had where he answered, 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 answered? What that does to your faith? Can you imagine what that will do to your faith if you have a history with the Lord? And that's why the Lord tells us that my word shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I've set it out to do. That's what He tells us. He also tells us my word is forever settled in the heavens. How does His word ever settle in the heavens? Does it mean rainbows? That says God doesn't lie. That tells us those things. So, so the first thing is your persona as how people see you. See, you're going through this stuff, but they see you rejoice. Now, this is not a ha, 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 ha. No, this is a, maybe one ha or whatever. But by the same token, you're rejoicing in the Lord and the fact that you know. And then people say, well, how can you be as so calm a people? Because I know what my politics is. So that's the first persona. Rejoice over the things that God promised to do for you and your past history and, and that all the prayers and the things that God has, has answered for you. And, and, and also in verse 5, he also says this, Let your gentleness be known. This is chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men the Lord is hand. And, and in the King James Version, it says, Let your moderation. Now, why is it? This is a big deal. What does it mean? It means this. It means simply, it means that it, this is public. What people see in you. How important this is. Was this to Jesus? Well, I'll tell you how important it was to Jesus. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, 17, he says, but you, when you fast, he's talking about people that are really dedicated to the Lord, and, and they're fasting, and they're asking God to do something. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, when you fast, he says, fix your hair, wash your face, don't look disgruntled, look in such a way that you, 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 you look... That people can't tell. What's he saying to us? He's saying simply, let your your moderation or let your gentleness be known to people when you're going through stuff. But how people? Well, here we go like this. Oh Lord, I'm really praying. I'm praying. What does that do? That doesn't do anything for anybody else. Doesn't influence you. Don't give the impression that you're not trusting the Lord because when you act that other way, let me tell you what you're doing. You're giving the impression you have no hope. Have no hope. But God is saying, when you're going through something, get up, wash your face, be, be rejoicing in the Lord, come to a place, uh, you know, and, and simply saying, Lord, I'm trusting you in all these things. But more important, it demonstrates how we really are trusting in the Lord, or whether we're trusting the Lord or not. So what's Hebrews 11 6 say? It says simply, what? Or what does it say? It says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But they that come to God will what? Must believe that He is God. And then what's the second thing? They that come to God must believe that He is God. What? The reward. The reward of what? Of them that diligently seek. It's not only important that you must believe that you must that you come to God believing He is God, but you've got to believe He wants to hear from you. You've got to believe that when you pray that He's going to answer that prayer. Did not Jesus say, Ask and it shall be given to you, seeking you to find, not going to be open to you for everyone that asks you to receive it? He that seeketh find, but he that knocketh is open unto you. Did not Jesus say over in John 16, 24, that says, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name, uh, ask and shall receive, that your joy may be full? Now, what does all that mean? That, 
this is who you have to know my name. Remember when Jesus went with the disciples and they, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what they're really saying is that they were saying, yes, Lord, teach us to pray the way you did. He said, Lord, when you pray, you seem like you really did our open line prayer. It seems like things really happen there. And so he says, okay, so I'm going to teach you how to pray. He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth and heaven, on earth and earth. He teaches you the Lord's prayer. Why did he teach them the Lord's prayer? Because he's with them. So what's the idea? The idea is when I pray, what am I trying to do? I am trying to, you know, the, 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 even Isaiah, I think it was, says, rend down to heaven. I'm trying to get God's presence. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get into God's presence. So he tells them, I'm with you, so you don't have to pray in my name. You just pray and go straight to the Lord. But now he's fixed to leave and go back to heaven. So now he says, up to this point, you've asked in God's name. Now I want you to ask in my name, because hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Up, uh, and now ask and you shall receive, what? That your joy may be full. So let me ask this question. What's the purpose of prayer? People don't like me to say this, but it's the truth. To get things from God. Why would your joy be full? Your joy would be full because you found out that God heard you and answered you, and as a result of that, He gave you the very desires of your heart. And so as a result of that, man, I'm rejoicing in the Lord because of it. Amen. So here he goes. Let me go over. Uh, also, uh, verse, verse. Uh, he also says this in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean, the Lord's at hand? He's with you. Did not Jesus promise you He'd never leave you and He'd never forsake you? Did He not promise you that? Let me say something that seems a little silly. I hear singers all the time talking about that you're, you're incomplete if you don't have somebody. Do you understand that you're not single? Oh, you're single. Well, I know you're single. But you're not by yourself. Why are you not by yourself? Of the Lord's with you. Amen. Now, if, if you want to, if you want to, if you find somebody, that's a great thing to bring good things into your life. But don't go around saying, "Well, I found this by myself." No. Yeah, God, you're not single because the Lord is with you. If you understand what I'm saying, the Lord is with you. He promised He'd never leave you. He never said, but he also is not only with you, but he's also promises that he's coming back again. That's the two ways. Now, 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 let's go a little bit farther. Believe the Lord's with you, verse five. Then verse six. Look what it says in verse six. Be anxious for nothing. Now, the old King James says, "Is be careful for nothing." The person who realizes that God is in control of life, they're going to be praying about everything. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting your request be made known, be known to God. You know, and so, so as the Lord is at hand, He's don't be anxious or nothing. But in everything, in prayer, pray about it, pray about it. And the word supplication means presupposing. It means whatever thoughts there, give that to the Lord. Is that, is that what, not what Second Corinthians chapter ten is talking about? What it tells us, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Some of us worry about things and get tore. Satan loves to drop something down your smokestack to get you worried about keep your eyes off the Lord as a result. Now, believe the Lord's with you. You pray about everything, be anxious, 
everything, nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, thanking the Lord. Let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, and look what it says, And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. What is that? That's a result of something God does in your life. That's a result of you praying and giving it to God. And, and one of the ways that I know that God has heard me is when He gives me that peace in my heart that He's done that. The Lord has done that. The result that demonstrates that God saw you meant. And what does that mean? It means that God looked in your heart and He saw that your heart, in your heart, that you really meant business. One verse of Scripture that God says, that people's heart, they honor me with their mouth, but the heart is far from me. And He's looking to see whether or not you really mean business with me. Now, here's the eighth thing. Once I've committed my concern to the Lord, how do I maintain my faith and trust in what God is doing? This is how you do this. Chapter 4, look at verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good to sing, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What's he saying to us? Here's what he's saying to us. He's saying, I can build an environment around me. I'm praying about something. It hadn't happened. I'm really battling with the Lord. I'm on my knees and I'm battling. But I build an environment around me that is conducive to building my trust and faith in the Lord. You know, Hebrews 6.19, it, it says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both pure and steadfast, which enters and persists uh, behind the veil. Now, you know, one of the things I've always told you, and I really believe that one of the problems a lot of people have in prayer and the reason they, they have a hard time believing that God has answered, can let them answer their prayer is because they got a veil over their eyes. And what do you mean by a veil, Reed? I mean this. I mean they pray, there was a time in their life when they really began to pray about something. And, and they prayed about somebody to be healed, and they weren't healed. They died. They prayed about a job and somebody that was, somebody that was uh, uh, less qualified than they are ended up getting a job. And so they prayed. They were praying about this, and it didn't happen. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, I, I believe I, I, I've been studying about homosexuality and things because I'm going to I'm going to preach a, a message. I'm going to preach a message on it. And, and one of the things I've discovered that so many people that enter into homosexuality, not everybody, but a great percentage of them, have had a terrible abusive situation happen in their life. I found I found out also that those people that maybe are atheists today. Many of them that are atheists have had something happen in their life that they have never gotten over. And they have gotten the wrong thinking. And they've got the thinking that the Lord is now in, in not wanting to hear or answer their prayer. And so there's a lot of people that because they prayed about something and it didn't work out the way they wanted to or somebody treated them mean and they were trying. I, how many times have I heard somebody say, well, uh, so-and-so, he doesn't come to church because he had a bad experience in church. Uh, he, he really got close to a minister, and all of a sudden the minister failed him in some ways or had, a, had an affair with somebody or something. Or, or, or he saw people in the church doing things. And, and, and you go on and on and on you know, about all this stuff. But Satan loves to do this. He loves to drop a veil over your eyes so that then when you get on your knees and you begin to pray, you look at all things through that veil. And he wants to take away that veil from you. The Bible says this over in Second Corinthians chapter uh, chapter was it four, uh, three or 
two or five, I can't remember, but it says, when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now what I mean, here's what I'm saying to you. At some point or place, you've got to get alone with the Lord. If you've had those kind of things happen in your life, I, you've heard me say this before, you've got to get alone with Him. And you've got to be brutally honest with Him and tell Him what really took place. You gotta tell him, Lord. I know you said that you that you uh, that you love me, and, and and you would take care of me. But Lord, what I saw was I saw the opposite. I don't feel that, Lord. Or Lord, I prayed about this, and this person died. And you gotta give that to him, and give it to him, and give it to him. And once you do, once you have really spit it out there and said to him, then you gotta back off. And once you back off, here's what you gotta do. You don't get up from there, but you begin to. You really begin to wait on him and wait for his voice. And how's he going to speak to you? Here's how he's going to speak to you. He's going to speak to you through the word. That's what he does. Several years ago, I went through uh, I'm going through things, and, and, I, and you know, and one of the things that Satan started putting in my heart, he started putting in my heart that the Lord didn't love me. And, and, I, and I had to get away, and I did. I went away for almost, uh, I went away for almost two days. I got a motel room, and I stayed in the motel room two different times just, just to get away. And and I read, I read almost ninety something psalms. The Book of Psalms to me is the that I go and, and, I, and I read and I read and I read and I read because that's what you got to do. That's how God's going to speak to you. He says that in Hebrews chapter. Uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. And so, I, I, I just kept reading and reading because what am I looking for? See, when I read the Bible, when I read the Bible, I know that what I'm reading, I'm reading just a, I'm just reading uh, the, the logos here. I'm just reading, a, and, and they don't affect me. They don't affect me. And I read, but then all of a sudden I read something, and when I read something, and God speaks, begins to speak to me, and when He begins to speak to me, He takes that page and He speaks, brings that off that page and sticks it right in my face and says, this is for you. Then I know this is God speaking to me. And I went away. And I want to tell you what I found. And this is what God gave me. He says this over in Psalms 89. He says, he started with verse 28, 89, 28. He says, my mercy I will keep for him forever. And my covenant shall stand firm with him. His feet also I will make no endure forever. And his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgment, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But now listen to what he says. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall be in him. And God gave that to me. And he spoke to me in that way. And he spoke to me in that way that I knew that God was saying to me, Lee, I love you. And nothing is ever going to get between me and you. And nothing is ever going to keep me from being. I may beat you half to death in the process. But I'm not going to do anything that would withdraw my love from you. So I'm just simply saying, how God doesn't want you to live. How our God is bigger than our faith. I heard a story, I heard this story even this morning. But 
Um, he's the guy that wrote uh, the original uh, Baptist preacher out of Virginia. He's the guy that was out of Texas. He was out of California. He wrote the book, um, uh, Purpose Driven by Chuck Emerson. Rick Warren. But I heard the story when they were building the church. When they were building the church, that they were asking people to commit when a when a uh,
said, the man, after he hung up, says, I got on my knees and I told the Lord, Lord, how could you do this? He said, Lord, how in the world could you, could you, I even could see the thanks of that. He said, but how could you do this? Here are these people that are saving their money all their life to build this little house. And now they're going to come up here and they're going to have to live up there. He said, two days later, I go to my mailbox and there's an envelope in there. The envelope, I opened it up and there's some guy, some guy from the Presbyterian Church that I didn't know, they haven't heard of, whatever else. He said, Dr. Blackaby, we believe in what you're doing. We believe you need some help. And so after the process, here's the check for $19,000. After I, after I got that check, so then I had to go back on my knees again and tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I should have known what you were thinking of doing. I said, God, forgive me. But are you willing to walk out in faith and to ask Him to do that? That's the question. So, what He can do in this church? We've already seen what His hands can do. So, we've got a million dollar building somewhere. Right now, we, we, we right now have borrowed about Would you come forward this morning and give your hand to faith?